Thanks for listening to the CISO Diaries podcast. We're Leah. And I'm Sia. And we started this podcast with the intent to give CISOs and cybersecurity professionals a place to be their authentic selves. These are the unedited stories told of how they got into cybersecurity, their real struggles that they persevered through, their personal anecdotes that make them tick, and the leadership advice based on their own experiences. And we want to especially spotlight those that are contributing and giving back to the community apart from their day jobs. This podcast is for everyone, especially if you're a leader or someone aspiring to leadership. Who knows? You may find yourself working with these awesome leaders. So join us on your favorite podcast player. And please don't forget to subscribe, follow, like, and comment and engage in the conversation. And now let's get to know our CISO on our latest diary entry. Oh, yeah. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to our show today. I'm Leah, and I'm here with my co-host, Sia. Hello, hello. A quick shout out to our sponsor, Cyber Future Foundation. They're an organization of executive leaders who are focused on taking action across a number of cybersecurity initiatives for a safer and more trusted world. Our guest today is one that I'm very excited about. He's a longtime cybersecurity practitioner who's and leader who's been the serving director of cyber operations for the State of North Dakota Information Technology Department, or NDIT. And as of November 1st, he has been appointed as the Chief Information Security Officer for the great state of North Dakota. Michael Gregg, it is so great, great to have you with us today, and congratulations. Thank you, and thank you for having me today. Of course. So, Michael, I mean... I'd love to, we'd love to hear a little bit of your story and your background because you have been private sector and public sector and, you know, in between and now being part of, um, as you have for the last few years, the, at the state level, um, talk to us about how did you get into cybersecurity and kind of take us all the way back and, and fill us in and give us a little bit of a, um, overview there. Sure. I guess I would say uh, from the time I was a kid, I've always been a geek. So uh, when I was a kid, I would get anything I could and take it apart. I couldn't always get it back together, but I'd at least take it apart, try to figure out what it would actually do. And then for me, I really got really got into computers around the late 80s, early 90s, and I got my first IBM XT PC. And I started writing basic, and I was really excited about that. But then I was just as excited when things wouldn't work and the code wouldn't work correctly. And I would have to try to figure out, well, what happens if you do something wrong? And that really got me even more interested in this stuff. And then by the late 90s or so, I don't know if you remember, but they came out with an article on FRAC called Smashing the Stack for Fun and Profits. Talking about buffer overflows. And this just really led me down the kind of rabbit hole to really kind of grow and explore and learn even more about this than I had in the past. Now, out of all that, I ended up and uh, I was here in the U.S. and I was working for a pen testing firm and we were doing pen testing and I was traveling all around the United States. And in about 10 years, I probably traveled about a million miles (laughs) And, and I decided I wanted to do something different. So I was looking for that next big challenge. And I wanted something outside the box. So I decided to go overseas. 
So I actually went three years overseas and worked overseas for three years as an expat. And I worked primarily in uh, Singapore and the Philippines is where I worked there. And that for me was probably a really growth opportunity because I worked with a very diverse, you know, dichotomy of people. Also, the organization I was working with is really the chief security officer, had entities around the world in over 40 different countries. And the countries these folks were in were places like Iraq, Madagascar, Congo, Papua New Guinea, you name it, they were there. That was kind of their niche market where they would get established. And I stayed there for about three years before I came back and then actually took this job for North Dakota. That is very fascinating, actually. So if you think back to the time that you were your three years as an expat and then coming into be the CISO of now an entire state, are there things that you learned during your three years of being an expat and that whole you know side of your career that you felt made you more ready maybe to be a CISO of a state? I mean, it is very different from being a CISO of a private organization, I'm imagining. But tell us a little bit about you know, how you think it maybe prepped you or helped and also the differences that you see having done both worlds, if you will, public and private sector? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say one of the takeaways from that for me that worked for me quite well was that when I was in Singapore, I had to work with all these teams from all these other different parts of the world. And to be honest with you, most of the time, I never worked with these these individuals face to face. So when I came back and when I came back, we were really at the point where we hit with COVID and having to deal with that. That's the point where we sent everybody home. We moved to this remote environment, to working remotely. You know, at the time, people said to me, how are you ever going to get anything done because you don't have anybody in the office? And I said, I've been working without people in the office for the last three years. That's really, really what I've been doing. Because you still have your objectives that you have to try to, you know, actually achieve the things you want to do. It's just you're not working face to face across the table or in the same conference room. So. It feels to me that that would be like a, a cultural shift from a in office versus telecommute. But I think in IT and security in general, aren't we kind of used to always telecommuting in some capacity anyway, having remote team members? I think we are to some extent, but I would say that COVID really might kind of made that move 10x forward. It may, made it move from some remote to some FaceTime. For us during COVID, we moved to a complete remote environment and we made that pivot very quickly. And one of the big things that actually worked out of this that I think was a positive was previous to this in North Dakota, we only hired people in North Dakota. And part of the vision of our CIO, Sean Riley, was why do we want to limit where we can get talent from? We want the best talent wherever they're at. So we moved to an approach of saying we're not only going to hire individuals in North Dakota, we're going to hire anybody from around the United States, wherever they may happen to be, Oklahoma City, Dallas, Texas, Austin, you know, San Jose, California, it doesn't matter as long as they're the best for that possible job. And Michael, this is not your first role as a CISO. You've been a CISO before in other industries, correct? Yeah, this is uh, this is my third or fourth fourth kind of go with this. So, so I keep coming back. So that means I must like it, or I haven't gotten enough of it yet. One of the two. <laughs> no kidding. Um, and uh, you know, just thank you for all that you do because we know um, being in that 
seat is not easy, um, especially just being in cybersecurity in general. So thank you. Um, Cause I know there's a lot going on right now, as we all know. Um, and that vacations aren't always a thing during the holidays, but, yeah. and you know, this getting as your path into cybersecurity and getting, you know, to leadership and a CISO position, it's not necessarily a clear path, right? It, and those who are just getting into the field and then at management level, trying to get into be potentially someday become a CISO. So how did you go about in terms of getting your CISO positions? Was it right place at the right time? You applied, you were referred, it just any advice or guidance in some of what, how you got there yourself? Yeah, that's a good question for me. I really started on the networking and the infrastructure side is where I started. But out of the networking and infrastructure side, at least for me, what I found was I ended up a lot of times writing policy. So I was writing policy. I ended up doing some stuff that was related to risk. And then the security part was really what interested me. So if I was going to be honest with you, I volunteered for whatever I could that was security related or whatever I could do to get additional background and get additional skills in that area. And I would tell anyone that really wants a job in security, even if you can't get that job in security, look for those opportunities to volunteer, look for an internship, look for somebody that can mentor you and help you in that field. Do whatever you can to try to grow those skills and and get that skill set where if you can't get in that job, you get those skills and then you have the ability to move into that first role and try to get started in it. Yeah, that is great advice. And I I do want to do a bit of a plug because I've really, really been fortunate and have really enjoyed getting to know all of you in North Dakota and learning so much more about all the great initiatives that as a state you all have done, PK through 20, pre-kindergarten through 20W initiative to get every student educated and in cyber in every school. And in terms of hiring, I want to commend your team because, well, number one, for anyone out there that's looking, check out defend.nd.gov for any open positions on the team. I They are a phenomenal team. And what I've noticed, too, is your job descriptions are on point and truthful and accurate for the roles and and the levels. And I want to say shout out to whoever's behind that, because we see too many today that aren't exactly following that model. And and it's a a little discerning. So kudos. Just I I can go on and on about all the great (laughs) things. But I know you guys are you and your team and the state are also an example to other states. So tremendous work there. You mentioned in your in terms of volunteering, but have you the volunteer aspect, I guess, have you always done it? Is it something that you always kind of signed up to do? Was it more in your career? I just want to talk a little bit more about that because what I've noticed, and I'm wondering if you do too, and I come from an IT networking background before I got into cybersecurity, but I've noticed more people in cybersecurity seem to do a lot more in terms of volunteering and contributing to the community. And is that, do you think it's because of the struggles that people are having to get in and they're just trying to get their hands onto anything to show that they have experience and to network or, you know, am I thinking too much into that? No, I think that's, I think that's a fair assumption. I think sometimes people have a hard time getting in the field. So that helps them actually get into that field and get started. I think and sometimes that people have a passion for it, so they simply want to do it. And, you know, we talked, you talked about hiring. 
we've hired about 30 roles so far this year since since we started mid-year. So we've brought on about 30 individuals. And a lot of those individuals we've brought on, we've brought on directly out of boot camps. We've brought on everyone exactly from out of school or some of the things we've tried to do. And then, you know, let's talk a little bit about public sector. And the reason I want to is there's a lot of mentees I have right now. And I try to encourage them to also look at public sector or look at working at the state level. Sometimes um, they, you know, aren't too keen on looking that direction. And it's not necessarily because they have in their mindsets about money or salaries necessarily. Um, but I'm just trying to get them to see both worlds, right? And and look at opportunities in both private and public sector. You know, given that you've had, you've been in both, um, can you tell me some of the things that, you know, draw you to public sector and what you like being, why you like being in public sector? Sure. I, I think for some people, they're, they're not, they don't gravitate toward public sector because public doesn't always pay what private does. But what I found at least that draws me and draws the individuals we have is one, those individuals want a purpose or a goal. And like for our team, that's protecting the state of North Dakota. And we've got a large network. We've got about 250,000 endpoints. So that's a large network. That puts us on about size of a Fortune 30 company. The second piece out of that is, while we may not be able to pay what some private sectors pay, we do a lot of training and education. So everybody on my team does at least one SANS or equivalent course a year. Plus, we have other types of options for soft skill learning, like LinkedIn learning, Udemy, others, that we promote those also. So we promote those. And then also, we run a cyber range. So we've got a cyber range, and about once a month, we bring the variety of individuals into the cyber range and get them to work together to build the skill set. So last year, our team actually were in one of the national hacking challenges. First year, our team was in there, over 90 teams. We placed second out of all 90 teams. So our team placed second out of this. And a lot of those, a lot of those individuals, some are, some are senior, but some are junior members just starting in cybersecurity field. That is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. I mean, as a former uh, recruiter, can I just tell you how much this tickles me? Um, it's like no better ad for yourself and your organization and the leadership than to simply say, look at our accomplishments and it's in yeah. all levels. So can I take a, a one step back, if you don't mind, you had sure. a little bit earlier, you know, the job description component of it, because poor Leah and I, like I know Leah beats her head against the wall. Like almost every day I hear it from her. The, the, re the fact that you decided to write a realistic job description was this something that you guys consciously said, I don't want to waste anyone's time? Like, what was your motivation to do that versus saying, no, I want to go for the unicorn and pay, you know, 20K for it? No, it was really more of a conscious decision to try to say, we want it. We want people to apply that really want this role. So we, we tried to target it toward them. And that was really a combination of, of not only the security team, but also HR working together with them to be able to do that. And so do you typically find your talent pool from referrals or is it from, you know, online? How are you typically finding folks? Because sometimes job descriptions, if they're brutally honest, potentially can scare people away if they're just looking at dots. Yeah, we've gotten them a couple of different ways. We get we get individuals in from referrals. We use social media. 
we post them online, but also we go to some of the various uh, their schools and boot camps around the country and ask them to bring their candidates in. And one of the things that I did when I got in this role was for all the junior positions, we changed it because it used to say that you had to have a degree. We changed these. So if you've got a major certification, if you've done a cert and you want to come in with an entry level, we'll bring in with an entry level with just a certification. Oh, I'm sorry, Lee. I know you're about to say something, but are you like hard pressed for certs? Like what if there's someone that had real world experience, but haven't gotten the certs yet? Is that something where you guys will weigh the options or is it really an on a per case basis? I'd have a hard time with that one with HR to tell you that tell you the truth because HR historically and most HRs they want you know a bachelor's degree, master's degree. We fought hard to get that brought down to the cert or boot camp. So if they've completed a boot camp or they have X number of years experience in those areas, we can bring them in with that. So Michael, I want to talk a little bit about leadership because you've been in as a leader for some time in the industry and. You know, it's interesting. We had a guest who telling us about the reason he was uh, he's he's a leader within his company and a manager of a small team. He was giving us a story from when he first got out of high school, didn't necessarily know what he wanted to do, was looking at music industry, for example. But a lot of those kind of personal decisions started really shaping him for how he today leads and manages. And I'm always just curious. Uh, I'd say intrigued to hear the personal with the mix is in terms of how it relates to the professional side. What are some personal experiences or some personal anecdotes that you can share that you think have also helped you as you've um, gotten into your leadership positions and what you've been, you can share to um, for others out there who are listening, who are, you know, trying to evolve in how they lead and go into leadership roles. The first one I would say out of, out of that is, um, <clears throat> excuse me. The, the first one I'd say out of that is that leadership is not a title. It's what you do. So it's, it's all on your own personal actions. And, and if you wanted me to share a story on that, the story I would share is years ago before I was a leader in security and I was part of a team, we'd go in these monthly meetings and I'd noticed that at the meeting around the table itself, is where all the security managers and leaders would sit and everyone else would kind of sit back along the wall. And it wasn't segmented out or segregated in any way. That's where just people would naturally kind of go. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to sit at the table with everybody else. And I just made a conscious kind of thought in my brain that I'm going to be a leader, whether I have that title or not, and I'm going to act in a certain way. And I'm going to take ownership of the projects or the other things I'm involved with. And I'm going to make sure they move forward. So for me, that was kind of one of those pivotal moments, being able to say it's more of what you do than a title that someone gives you. I like that. Leadership is not a title. It's what you do. Yeah, it's what you do. It's what you do. So, you know, unfortunately, I we're hearing it too much and, and I've been seeing it in others and they, I think it was a week or so ago, there was an article on it, burnout, right? Being a big thing in our industry. Um, what are some things that you do to, you know, help to not get to that point of burnout? And then more importantly, too, you know, what are some things that you do to help so that your team does not reach that point of burnout? Yeah, one of the things we do is when we've set our goals for each quarter, we use OKRs. Mm-hmm. So we use objectives and key results. 
So we define what are the three to five things that we want to move forward. Because as you know, in security, you've got 50 different things coming at you from 50 different directions, and there's no way you can do them all. So you've got to define what are the three or four big things, maximum five you want to move forward, and how much effort you want to use on those. That's a piece of it. The other piece I would say out of this is I've noticed a tendency when people even have vacation or on the weekend, they'll want to come back in. I tell people when they've got their off time to actually unplug, to actually unplug, and I don't want them to come back in. The other piece of it is, I would say, is probably team building. So we have those events. So everyone on the team understands that they can rely on those other individuals. So if they have to walk away, somebody can pick it up and they have somebody else there that can help them. So they don't have to take on all that load by themselves. Are there any um, hobbies you have that help with personal hobbies that you do that help you to, I guess, with the mindset that you need to have in your position? Oh, for me, uh, I like to work out. Mm -hmm. And I I think of working out and going to the gym is exactly the same as security. Because you can go to the gym, you can, you know, get fit, you can lose weight, but you can't stop. You got to keep doing it. The moment you stop, you lose the muscle, you lose the tone, you lose the ability to do the repetitions, whatever it may happen to be. Security is the same thing. People think that you build it and you're done and you're complete. And in reality, you never are. You're having to continually move this forward and advance it because you're either going forward or you're moving back. There's no standing still. I like that analogy. I, I've never heard the analogy with the going to the gym being equated. To yeah, security. yeah. I did, I did a whole uh, presentation on that one time. And the other one I did was around the difference between vendors and partners and how it's like relationships. So oh, it's not yeah. me, it's you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wait a second. You have piqued my interest as a former you know, tech I, sales I'm, person I'm, here. When you're a sales veteran, let's talk about this, Michael. What do you mean, vendor uh, partnership? What, what are we talking about here? And can you sh- divulge us uh, or um, can you share your perspective, please? Yeah. What I mean is you can have many different vendors and a vendors are looking for just a win relationship for themselves. And when you have a partnership and, and you have different companies you work for or work with, they're looking for a win-win. So not only a win for you, but a win for them. So maybe you get the software and you get the item from them, but you find that if something was changed in the software in a certain way, it would benefit you. But you've got to be able to make that case to them that it would benefit them and their other, their other customers also to try to get those changes actually made. And if you can find those individuals that you can work with in that way, it truly is. It's a win-win in that situation. You're not going to ghost those individuals. You don't want to breadcrumb them either at that point. Right. I feel like with security <laughs> specifically, maybe I'm, I'm speaking uh, from, I don't know, my own personal experience, but I feel like with security though, it's you can't do that vendor sell at you know method because like you said, it's an ongoing relationship because it's not a question of just selling a firewall and calling a day and saying deuces, good luck on your perimeter. You know what I mean? It's, hey, you got to update that. You got to make sure that, you know, that particular, you know, appliance is going to keep up with all the, you know, advancements and attacks and all that stuff. Are you saying then, or have you ever had a relationship with a vendor, for example, where you're saying, guys, great solution, but my team, 
can't support it for whatever reason or doesn't like the product itself. Have you ever had it where you actually help change the product itself? If you want multiple, to that, that partnership yeah. to the fullest extent. Yeah, m- multiple times. I'll give you an example. In North Dakota, one of the things we found when we got ready to roll out certain software packages to the cities, counties, and schools, there were no dashboards that would allow them through the product to see their individual entities. They didn't want to see the state as the whole. They didn't want to control the state as the whole. They want to know what's going on in their school, in their county, in their city. So I actually went out and I talked to some other Fortune 500 companies that use the same product. And I said, hey, if you're, you know, XYZ company, do you have the same need? And so from that, I went back to the vendor and I said, I'm not the only one that needs this. There's other that others that need this too. They actually then from that put us in contact with their development team. Their development team in this case was in Israel. We worked with them and we worked with them for a period of about two, two and a half months. They came out with new functionality called SBAC, which allowed us to cut the deployment time down to our city schools and to our counties and other entities and give them what they needed, which was really that barrier to keep us from rolling out that tool. And, and then the, the vendor also was able to use this and promote this to their other other clients because their other clients needed this same functionality. So did they pay you for it? <laughs> you no, they, they didn't pay for it. <laughs> no, they, they didn't pay me for it, but I was I was able to successfully complete what I wanted to do. So I was happy about that. That is pretty great of you, though. And, and it, I mean, back to your point on how the relationship is like or the partnership is like relationships, right? Personal relationships. Yeah. Yep. Effective feedback, um, communication. See? Yep. <laughs> it can You're work. You're getting it. Yes. Yeah, yep. And you know what's um, what's been um, interesting to me to see in my time in cybersecurity is that you all in CISO roles are brutally honest too, which I can actually appreciate, yeah, right? Yeah, because yeah. I don't think there we have time to mess around, so to speak, right? And and we ha- we can't just go through all the BS, so we have to get right to the point. Um, I've seen quite a few CISOs be brutally honest with vendors, even publicly. Um, and I do hope that that is, um, that honesty and communication and being so transparent helps because, you know, I know that it's, it's a crowded market and yeah. we, we know you guys are smart guys who don't have the time to read between the lines. Right. So getting yeah. right to the point. Yeah. yeah. And let's, let's, let's be honest. When you get a tool or you get a piece of software, you get a piece of hardware generally you're tied to that for 18 to 24 months minimum. It's hard to get it out there. It's hard to get it deployed. And if you decide you don't want it and you have to pull it out, that's a lot of work to do. So the other piece of it is the contract you have with them, which I would describe that as the prenup. That's a prenuptial agreement. That also has to be correct and has to be done right because that's going to lay the foundation for that agreement and what you're going to do going forward. Michael, I love that. I think you've done this before, Mr. Prenup. <laughs> no, not this. I've just used it in a presentation and it worked really well. Everybody liked it. <laughs> Do you see a lot of men and women crying together at the same time going, oh, no, I know that. I get it now. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, what a great way to humanize the whole world of cybersecurity, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. you get that emotional tie. And I say this all the time. Like, you can connect one emotion to a concept. You will yes. always remember it for the rest yes. of your lives. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. 
that tells me though with you um and i guess in your communication style and, and obviously i don't know you michael we didn't talk prior to this um are you are you a bit of a storyteller do you do you like telling stories uh growing up or now yeah you could say i'm a storyteller because i've authored or co-authored more than 30 books so yeah i knew so, you did the uh, number but i didn't know it was that high yeah yeah i stopped counting at 30 so that's kind <laughs> of be more. kind of where i that's kind of kind of where I stopped, but I, I the way I always, always saw that piece at least was it gave me another avenue to learn because one you're not only doing it you're having to tell that story or explain it to others, and the better you can craft that story to explain it to others, the better you can execute. And just like when you're writing a book, you're explaining it several different le- levels. Meaning, if you're going to do it on a technical level. That's one, but if it's to leadership or management, it's a different book or a different story that you're writing. Absolutely true. You almost strike me as, I think we're going to build this one as the Stephen King of cybersecurity. (laughs) (laughs) I've never been called that. I can tell you that much. Congratulations. I've given you a new nickname now. Thank you. (laughs) Hopefully you like Stephen King. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Um, I like that. The Stephen King of cybersecurity. Yeah. Um, you talked about a little bit earlier about how you would kind of volunteer to learn more about security or take on more, right. To really um, learn. And, and then just now with writing the 30 plus uh, pieces of work you have out there, out there um, that helps you educate yourself even further. Um, I mean, curiosity, I, I would say you, I'm sure you have quite a bit of it. Um, but do you, you know, find that's pretty helpful if, or encourage others if you, I, cause I know how I operate. If I need to learn it, I need to do it. And yep. that's how I'm going to best learn. Right. And I think it's that, um, I guess proactiveness, right? Take the reins and find out what more can you learn and how can you do it? And then actually do that. Right. Um, do you encourage that with your team quite a bit? Um, do you have, you know, are there things that you task them with um, or beyond that, just have them volunteer for and, and try to encourage how that's going to actually help grow their skill sets and knowledge? Yes, I, I do actually encourage that. And I task that with the team. And actually, uh, Tony Auckland, he's the, he's the gentleman that set up our training program. The way we've set up our training program is that we have not only a series of technical courses for our team to go through to grow, we have what I call our gates and these gates are soft skill courses. So better meeting management, uh, better presentations, better report writing. So to get to that next technical class, which is what most of these individuals want to do, they have to pass through the gate and the gate is the soft skill side of it because I want an individual that's well-rounded. If we go back to the analogy of working out, you need that whole body workout. You just don't want, you know, muscles on your arm or to be toned in your abs. It has to be whole body. So part of that means they have that technical skill. But the other piece means if they meet leadership in the hallway or in the elevator and someone says, hey, what's going on, that they can articulate that to them in two to three minutes and speak clearly and in a way that that individual can understand it. Okay, Michael, I want to be selfish here because... North Dakota, IT, go team, rock and group. You develop them. You develop their soft skills. 
I mean, don't you run the risk selfishly? If I were your HR right now, I'd be like, okay, you're doing a lot of great things, but they're going to leave us. Do you guys ever? They're going to leave anyway. Yeah. People, people generally change jobs anyway. And it, and if I was being honest with you, if they change and I've seen them advance in their career and I can look back and I can look back three to four years from now and I can see leaders that have developed out of this, I'm happy because that's really what I want at the end of the day. That makes sense. And are there incentives that you um, put into place? I've had this conversation a couple of times where um, some CISOs at other organizations, they were looking to hire and they you know, didn't want a certain level because they were their fear was, I'll get them for a year, I'll groom them, and then they will leave. And um, we actually brought in some of those career seekers and said, you know, what would keep you longer than a year at a company? Is it really just all monetary? And we asked them to answer completely honest. And the majority of them said, it's not just money, that if they could get a commitment back from the employer or the hiring manager, that that they, that person would invest the time into them, into their professional skill sets, um, you know, pay for some certifications and some other training that they would go two to three years. And so it was, and it was interesting to see how the hiring managers responded and thought, okay, maybe I need to look at incentives, right. To give them so that I don't have this challenge where in a year they just leave. Are there incentives that you've seen work well to try to retain people knowing, you know, what, what could work well to keep them um, growing in their career, not bored. Yeah, a, a big piece of that for us would be the soft skill and the technical training. And and when individuals take the technical training, we give them the option along with that to get the cert. And that cert to me is something that you have for a lifetime. So if you get that, you obviously take that with you. And you not only take those skills, but you take that ability to show others that you have that skill set. And then the other one we did when we rebuilt all these really roles within the organization over the last year, year and a half, was that we tiered these roles. So we've got entry level, we've got more junior, and we've got more senior roles. So we've got a path for people to potentially move up, bid on these other roles, and try to move up in their career. So they've got knowledge growth, but they've also got advancement, and they've got the ability to be part of something big and, and make a difference for the, you know, the, not only the state, but for all the citizens of the state. So we've got a mission. You know, um, call me the city slicker. I've actually never been to North Dakota, but you're making it sound really cool to work for this team. I'm not going to lie to you, as, again, as a recruiter or a former recruiter back in the day, you know, the company mattered or the organization mattered. Yeah. And I mean, this, feels like North Dakota sets your, you set yourself apart from other states. I won't name states, but there are certain states where I look at the IT security group and I'm like, they're just thrown off to the dungeon, off to the side somewhere. It feels very dynamic. How did you, as a leader, get the government entities, if you will, to support and embrace your initiatives? That's that's a good question. And, and being that I've been in these types of roles previously, what I would say is this, you don't always get lucky because sometimes what happens is you have leadership that don't support the role or that they won't provide the funding. Sometimes you have middle management that won't. Sometimes you have other barriers. But here we've got a governor, we've got a CIO, 
we've got a legislature that understands and supports the overall role and mission of cybersecurity and the difference that that can make. Because you look at just something like Log4J, and if you looked in the news for this, like oh, the province of Ontario, they just shut down 4,000 of their servers because they said, we're just going to shut down all 4,000. And then as we validate they're good, we're going to bring them back online. So we've been lucky out of this so far, but we've had a plan to deal with this, block and tackle, identify, patch, remediate, to try to go through and do this. And we've had the support where we've needed it and across the entire state and its agencies and NDIT to be able to execute. But I mean, the, it, it is extraordinary, the collaboration across the state, because, and I don't know if it's North Dakota is a smaller state compared to some other states in the U.S. or what it is. And maybe if there is that secret you can share with us, how um, the team has gotten to the level of this this tight collaboration with many different um, sectors and businesses, even within the state, because I look across the U.S. and, you know, just well, you're also here in Texas still, too, uh, Michael, but we are um, the whole state necessarily. Do I see that tight collaboration? No, albeit, yes, I know it's a bigger state. In certain um, regions within, yes, like San Antonio, huge collaboration. Yeah. Um, I, it's in pockets, right? But so what it was there, what was that secret ingredient, if you will, or or what have you, that that collaboration has become so tight? Because, I mean, it is impressive. And I think many of us who have had the pleasure of working with you in the state have um, not seen anything quite like that anywhere else. And it's, it's impressive. Again, I would say that I think a lot of that has to do with the vision and the mission of the governor. I think that has to do with the vision of the CIO and even for my vision. Because when I came in, for example, even when I was director, the very first thing is I said, we have a mission. And our mission is building, managing, and maintaining best of class cyber operations center nationwide. So whatever we are, we want to be best of class. We want to be the best of the best for this. So I think a lot of it is that vision, that mission, and then setting those goals and objectives where you get everyone marching together the same way. You don't always get it in every entity or everywhere you're at, but when you're lucky enough to get it, those are the places you want to be and those are the rides you want to take. Oh, it kind of reminds me of your earlier statement about volunteering for whatever you can get your hands and skill sets yeah. on. It's almost like volunteering to find all the network of individuals that wherever you land, whether it's North Dakota yes. or next, will get you there. Yes. Yes. You you seem like such a, um, and I've noticed this, a common thread, Leah, um, mm. with all of our- oh, Stephen King? Stephen <laughs> King. I mean, Stephen King. <laughs> let's start calling Stephen now. Watch, you're going to start to go viral. Michael Stephen. <laughs> um, It'll go viral <laughs> when we promote this. <laughs> That'd be awesome. But like Leah, I mean, we've noticed with all of our leaders and Michael, you can agree or disagree, but it's like you guys are all like your own entrepreneur, even though you might have worked for an organization, but you guys are constantly seeing and looking and striving for finding those gaps in the business or gap in your career or gap in your network or gap in your learning. Do you think that's a critical element needed for leadership? I do. And and I, I would just say, at least for me personally, I don't want to go in and manage a shop. That that's that's not what I want to do. So I think that that skill you described is really what what sets leaders apart from managers. Interesting. So you don't want to go in and manage a shop. I don't want to manage. I want to transform it. 
I don't, I, I, like you, I don't want to do run. I want to go do grow and transform. Uh, I that's like that. the fun part. That's like, I call that yeah. the Tasmanian devil methodology. Yeah. Like, hey yeah. guys, I've got an idea. Spin it up. But then that means I'm assuming then you put a team together that can take what you just threw up in the air and say, okay, we're going to start organizing it now. And, and do it. Yeah. And, and when we do it, what we always sh- shoot for is MVP, minimum viable product. Let's prove it out. Let's do it on a minimum viable product. Let's show that it's possible. And then let's grow it from there. So as an example, state of North Dakota, we've set up the first joint state sock that anyone had nationwide. So what we've done is we've joined with other states and we've joined with other states to share Intel in real time. We not only share Intel in real time, we've tagged this Intel and we, sh- we tag our information internally in our sock and also through our joint state, state initiative that we have using Veris tagging. So we tag it the same way Verizon does in the breach report. So we have this data. We built it out to the neighboring states, but we had to go to legislature and we had to actually get the law changed to open that up. So now we're hoping actually this year to grow up by five or six additional states and grow that even more. So when we have incidents, for example, like Hathnium or others, and there were no tools at the time to identify and find those servers, we actually had our content dev team spin up and they already created a tool for us where we could find those vulnerable servers. And then we shared it with the others and shared that information out. So that working together kind of it's, it's like that saying a rising tide raises all ships or all boats working together. It helps all these states because if I'm seeing it, somebody else is going to see it. If they're seeing it, I'm going to see it. So the better we can share that intel and get that going quickly, the better we can protect the citizens. Yeah, the information sharing. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the same thing or maybe, you know, your perspective is could be different. But when I look at the last five years, and I don't know if it was because of COVID and the pandemic when we were, I feel we all collectively as even the, the world kind of came together more and closer or just because things are getting, you know, they're not getting better and, and necessarily with the bad actors, right? I don't know necessarily what I could pinpoint, but what I've seen in the last five years is, is I am seeing more collaboration and more partnering um, relationships, I guess, going building tighter together it, amongst, you know, private public sector states, right? All leaning on yeah. each other a little bit more. Um, have, are you seeing the same thing and, or if not um, share, but then also if you are seeing that, why do you think that is? Do you think, it, is it any specific factor that you think is is what's bringing more of us together? Or it's just maybe we're, it's time and people are realizing that. I believe we are seeing more of it. We're not only seeing more of it. If you look at the scope and the impact of the attacks we see, you think of like ransomware and colonial pipeline. You think of what solar winds, hafnium, log4j. The you know supply chain issues; these are huge and, yeah. and impact tens of thousands of entities very quickly. So that ability to share that information is is of critical importance. And the other one for me is you know if I go back to that, like with the JCSOC and with others, if I'm going to stand up a new system or if I'm going to do something new and someone else has done it, and I can get that information from them, I can reduce my learning curve because the toughest part is that learning curve. Going through it the first time, you haven't done it before, you're going to make those mistakes where you go, aha, 
If someone can help you with that and share that information, that reduces that learning curve and allows you to spin up, in our case, that MVP much faster. So one more question for you, Michael. I've been having some conversations with my peers lately who they're at that level where they could go for a CISO position. And some of them will say, I I don't want to go for it because I don't think I can do it. And they have good, I guess, arguments on why they, they think that way. And there are others that are definitely trying for it. But if you have to distill it to three qualities in terms of what you think is necessary, a necessity to get to being a CISO, what would those three be? Three words for that would be honest, humble, and hungry. Ooh, H-cubed. <laughs> yeah, H-cubed, that's it, yeah. <laughs> and, and I would just say if someone wants to do it, you, you don't wait. You, you got to get in. It's, it's like saying, well, I can't swim. Well, you're not going to learn to swim if you don't get in the water. You, you've, you've got to do it. You've got to engage yourself in it. You've either got to rise to that level or, ta- or take that on to be able to get past that point. Oh, I'm loving this because now you said hungry. Now I'm a hungry, hungry hippo. Stephen <laughs> <laughs> King, like the most like... Like you just give perfect visuals of everything that you've got here. If I could summarize what I've learned from you today and you just tell me, Michael, if I was a good note taker or not. Okay. One of which is volunteer for whatever, whatever skills that you want to learn or need to learn. Check. Uh, and, And check and look for it. Seek it out. Leadership is not a title. It's what you do. Yes. Going to the gym is like doing security. It's ongoing. So yes, don't be flabby man. (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Vendor relationship and partnerships. Look for that win-win. It ain't always win-win. Yes. They're not vendors. They're partners. Exactly. Partners. And, and in partnerships, like all things in life, it's about effective feedback, collaboration, and communication. That's great. And then be honest, humble, hungry, hungry, hippo style. You got it. You only Michael. left off the prenup. That was the only one. That's the contract. Get the contract. Yes, yes. Read it carefully. (laughs) Know what you're getting into, right? Yes, know what you're getting into Mm -hmm. because it's a long term relationship. Mm -hmm. You're not going to remove that software easily. You're not going to pull it out. You're not going to pull out that hardware. That's a lot of work to deploy, especially in a large environment. If you get it, you're stuck with it. It's just like, you know, a big divorce of if we see, you know, Hollywood or whatever else, it, it's a big, messy thing. So make sure you know what you're getting into. And then Sia, take a trip to North Dakota in 2022. You will be pleasantly surprised. You'll really, I think you'll really like the state, the people. Uh, yes. I equate this to my parents live in Pleasanton, California. And I always comment when I go there that everyone's so pleasant. People in North Dakota are very nice people. Very, very nice and pleasant. I cannot rave enough about the state, what you all, your team has done, Michael, the initiatives that have gotten passed through and the huge strides that uh, North Dakota has taken. You at the helm and leadership and position that you're in now, it's excited to see the journey where you all continue to go and grow and transform. And want to thank you so, so much for being with us today and just sharing so many great insights, sharing your history and bringing uh, good advice to our listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you too. I've enjoyed it. 
Well, thank you, Michael. And if you decide to write another book, by all means, you're welcome back. You all right. Numbers. Let us know. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and if people want to reach out to you and uh, connect with you, where can they do so? LinkedIn, or they can through uh, North Dakota through through my email there. Excellent. Excellent. And on that note, I think it's a great conversation, a lot of stuff to unpack. And uh, I think that'll be a perfect ending for another entry of the CISO Diaries. 